wrapping up our 2024 mock draft, including Vance Honeycutt finally coming off the board. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started today. Finishing up our MLB mock draft for 2024, we started this yesterday. Quick reminder, we only got through about 11 picks on day one because we'd spent some time talking about format and all of that. First baseman Nick Kurtz was our number one overall pick going to Oakland with Jack Caglione of University of Florida going number two to the Royals. And that was just, we didn't trust Oakland to get it right. Uh, You can go back to the episode to see everybody else. But starting here at pick number 12, the San Francisco Giants. Again, uh, reminder, this is pre-lottery. This is just the order that they are before the lottery. This obviously is subject to change once the draft lottery happens in early December. For the San Francisco Giants, they like up-the-middle defenders and arms that have traits. That's what I've noticed over a couple years of Zadi. But they've also, especially recently, really, really leaned into the two-way player, right? So when you're looking at uh, this group of two-way players in this draft, there's a guy that is young for his age, due to reclassifying, plays both ways, and has good traits on both, and that's Noah Franco out of IMG Academy in Florida. Left-handed pitcher and a first baseman. Some uh, back and forth about where he's going to play. Is he going to be a position player? Is he going to be a hitter? The Giants have seemingly so far let their guys decide on their own when they're going to be done playing two ways. Bryce Eldridge was the guy last year out of uh, another prep two-way guy, this one out of Virginia. But the thing for Franco is as a hitter, really good bat speed as a left-handed hitter, can do well hitting other lefties, isn't something you see a ton and then very good athlete at first base. If he's a hitter, and if he's a position player, that's what you're looking at for Noah Franco. And then as a pitcher, velocity isn't quite there yet. He's 93, mid-90s, things like that. But slider has really good spin rates on it, 2,800 RPMs or so, has a changeup. Legitimately could see him working out either way. And if you are the San Francisco Giants, and you're sticking with, you want traits from a pitcher and from a hitter uh, and a two-way guy, Noah Frank was the guy for you. At 13 for Cincinnati, it feels like they they grabbed the guys that fall. They took Rhett Lauder, number seven overall last year, who was projected to potentially be a little bit higher than that. Still how it worked out. The top five kind of went chalk with the top five. So right here, the guy that's falling in this draft, and it's again, it's another just slipping through on me, Brody Brecht, the right-hand pitcher out of Iowa. Had a uh, very tough first year. He was splitting time between wide receiver on the football team and reliever on the baseball team. Walked almost 10 guys per nine innings, but was obvious that, no, he has the stuff. Last year, Friday night starter, 
Averaged almost 98 on the fastball, ran it up to 101, struck out over 100 batters. Looked very good, especially when you combine it with the slider, sits in the high 80s, a lot of swing and miss on that. And it's one of those, this is a lot of projection, right? This is a guy with a very high ceiling, but he was dual sporting it for the first bit of time he was at Iowa. Obviously, it depends on what his 2024 looks like. He could shoot up this board into the top 10 very easily. But Brody Brecht, right now, we've got him at 13 to Cincinnati. The Chicago Cubs at 14, it feels like the thing that they do is they're targeting upside or they're grabbing a guy that falls. I love the pick that they made last year of Matt Shaw. He shot through the system incredibly quickly. Uh, And so what we've got here is a guy that has fallen compared to where people thought maybe he would be. And again, this is, it's my mock, it's probably my fault. But corner infielder Tommy White out of LSU, uh, formerly NC State, uh, they call him Tommy Tanks. Freshman year, he hit 362, hit 27 home runs, transferred to LSU, hit 374 with 24 home runs, had over 100 RBIs. Now, not just a slugger, very good in zone contact rate, something like close to 90%, not quite 90, but close to 90%. Does really well against spin, can handle a slider pretty well. I don't know if he's going to stick at third base. I watched him at first base at NC State. I watched him at third base at LSU. Obviously, first base is much easier. It looks like he can play. It looks like he's destined to play first base over third, but at the same time, Chicago has dealt with issues at first base for a while, and assuming Matt Mervis is not going to be the guy for them, Tommy White should be able to move through the system in relatively short order simply because of how talented the the bat is for Tommy White. 15, Seattle, 88-74 last year. They... it. Last year may have been unique because of them having three draft picks, but it feels like they like to go after young prepsters that have upside. And by young, relatively young, model-wise, age-wise, when you look at Colt Emerson, he was a guy, July birthday, so he was pretty young at draft day, but it was one of the better bats in that entire draft. And so in the model of that, Caleb Boner which I'm probably saying that wrong. Caleb Bonemer, something where may stick at shortstop, but just very good hitter, right? Very good, uh, very quick swing to get to the ball. Does well with both spin, off-speed stuff as well. Uh, Reminds me a lot, again, not a comp, we don't do comps. Reminds me stylistically of a guy like Brady House back in 2021 when he was drafted. And so somebody who... Is that shortstop for now could potentially stick at third base, but could be a slugging type of third baseman. I I say this about an hour or two after news broke that Seattle has traded third baseman Eugenio Suarez to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And so fitting that this is the pick right here. I feel like there's a lot of upside here. Still a little bit young. And the run times are good now. He's going to probably back up to an above average or so runner, but still feels like a shortstop for now. Third base eventually fits in with a lot of the youth movement that they've had and fits along those same time frames as the rest of those guys. Miami at 16 is a little bit of an unknown. This is the first team that was not in the lottery. This is right here. Miami is the one of the first losers of the wildcard round, 84 and 78. Peter Bendix is the new GM. I don't know a ton about Peter Bendix, but I do know that Miami 
loves going after pitching. Last year, they took, I believe it was probably the best prep lefty and the best prep righty with their first two picks. They just love to go after pitching. And the guy here, if you're looking at prep pitching, won't be 18 until after draft day, so the models are going to like him. Righty Levi Sterling out of California. Technically a two-way player, but I've only seen him talked about as a as a pitcher. So sits 94-95, ton of spin on the fastball, relatively flat approach angle from what I've seen, has a slider, has a changeup that I think is more like a splitter, and is adding in a cutter in one of the showcases that I saw. So really good athlete, a lot of different things that he's doing. And something where you can see what they do, how they're so good at developing pitching, you can see him blowing up into some sort of quality front of the rotation type of guy. If he's already throwing four pitches uh, in high school, what he could be when you can polish some of those up a bit. The New York Mets, here's the one in just a minute, we're going to get to this and we're going to talk about, finally talk about. Vance Honeycutt and why he's fallen in the draft. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, There is no better time to get in on the action. You just had a chance to watch a bunch of games on Thursday. So you just watched all the Thanksgiving games, six different games, or three games, six teams. And so if you haven't bet on football before, you saw a lot of exposure, I'm sure, from your uncle or your degenerate cousin, whoever it was, about spreads, about player props, over-unders, how all that stuff works. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, New York Mets picking at 17. Remember, they got kicked back 10 spots because of the fact that they spent so much money. And we're going to have the Vance Honeycutt conversation. They like to take big chases on upside, right? So Vance Honeycutt is a, is a guy a lot of folks were expecting. He's the, the outfielder out of University of North Carolina. Uh, a, lot, a lot of folks were expecting him to be top five, top 10, because his first two years at North Carolina, he looked really good, right? So 25 home runs his freshman season in 64 games. But there's a couple things to be concerned about with Vance Honeycutt. And everybody, is, every draft has a guy that falls down the board and a guy that shoots up the board. I can't necessarily speak to who's going to shoot up the board because it's all dependent on what they do this season. But I could see reasons why Vance Honeycutt falls down the board. His freshman year, 64 games, 25 home runs, like I said, 296, 409, 672. He strikes out 90 times in 64 games. And I know he's adjusting to college baseball. He's he's figuring out what guys can do against him, how they're going to pitch him, all of that stuff. I get it. 29.7% strikeout rate is not great. He gets pitched completely different his sophomore year, right? 50 games. He only hits 12 home runs because you know, because guys are much less willing to come into the zone to attack him, right? This So his slash line falls, 257, 418, 492. Again, only 12 home runs. Uh, has 19 stolen bases, whereas he had 25 homers and 29 stolen bases the previous year. 
His batting average is only 257. He strikes out 51 times. Now, he walks 49, so it's almost equivalent, but he strikes out more than once a game. It's yes, you cut the strikeout rate down from almost 30% to just over 20%, but college baseball is one of those things where a lot of the offensive oriented drafted guys. They will tell you that they are going to get drafted. They'll hit 20 home runs. They'll steal 20 bases. They'll bat 300. They'll do one of the things. And for Vance Honeycutt to not do any of the things in his sophomore year, I understand he's being pitched differently. And from a pure talent and potential perspective, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think the difference in Vance Honeycutt being a lottery pick and being picked, in this case, at number 17 is figuring out the consistency of the hit tool. He's got everything he needs to be a plus defender in center field. He's got speed. He's got athleticism, really good reads, routes, reactions. He has fantastic power offensively. The thing here is the quality of the hit tool, the consistency of the hit tool, not having as much swing and miss, and he he didn't chase nearly as much last season, but it's... Uh, It feels like a lot of his production still comes off of mistake pitches over the plate, and he's got to turn that into consistent, high-quality contact, right? He needs to see the hit tool improve. So I've got the Mets taking him at 17 because they take big chases on upside, but he's got to be more consistent. He's got to do better than he's done recently. Number 18, Toronto Blue Jays, 89 and 73, lost in the wildcard round. We have the Toronto Blue Jays in this very early mock draft, taking Braden Montgomery, the outfielder and pitcher that transferred from Stanford to Texas A&M this offseason. He's technically a two-way guy. I don't know how much he's going to pitch at Texas A&M. I like him better as an offensive player. On the mound, good velocity. He's running up to about 97 or so, has a cutter and a breaking ball, but the command hasn't been there, not even of the fa- of the fastball, right? Never mind the other stuff, the secondaries. The fastball command hasn't been there. You can see the arm talent, but it's not all quite come together. But on the field, his hit tool has gotten consistently better every year. The power is easily plus, if not better than that. The athleticism, he's a very good athlete. Listed at 6'2", I think 205 or so. Very good athlete. Speed's good. And... If you put that arm as a full-time outfielder, it's probably the best arm of any outfielder in the class. He's very accurate on throws to the infield. It's something where the command's not quite there on the fastball, but when he's not doing all the pitching stuff off the mound, it (laughs) commands exactly where you need it to be coming from the outfield. And so if he can really turn the corner offensively with the hit tool this year, because Again, he's done, but it's not where it needs to be. If he can turn that corner, he, he's going to rise from right now. But here we have him at 18 to Toronto. They just like guys that fall to them, and this feels like he's falling. They're going to grab him off the board. 19 to Milwaukee. Another caveat here, another organization with a new general manager. David Stearns left and went to the Mets. H- historically, it feels like they've liked college guys. They've liked guys that have fallen. They like contactability here, but with them losing so many pitchers and stuff like that and a new general manager, we don't know what they're going to take. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give them Luke Holman 
out of LSU, the right-handed pitcher. One of my favorite pitchers in the class, we talked about him on that lottery show. It's a potential lottery pick, so if he's around here, it's a great pick. But uh, fastball, curveball is the combo here for Luke Coleman. Fastball runs up to 95 or so. Curveball is big, bending, curving, like big breaking curveball. Sits in the upper 70s. He can... He can't, the goal is to throw it low in the zone or spike it at times. Sometimes he hangs it. When he hangs it, it gets crushed. But uh, when it's on, it's a really good breaking pitch. Tunnels really well with the fastball. And so you get swings that look stupid. And everybody's like, why do you swing at that? Because the fastball before that looked exactly the same coming out of the hand. He's got a slider. It looked good when he was pitching with Team USA. It's not the most consistent yet, but he's working on it. Has a changeup as well, not quite there. But again, the fastball-curveball combo is absolutely phenomenal. I think he's going to be a starter. You're going to you have to get the slider to blend into that and then the changeup. But this is, he looks every bit of the part of a starting pitcher. Really like Luke Holman a lot. Got him going to Milwaukee at 19, and I'm sure that Tampa Bay is punching, they're punching the air right now because they would have loved him. There's no GM in Tampa Bay, so I have no idea what they're going to do in the draft. Uh, I gave them uh, Prepster, P.J. Morlando, first baseman and the outfielder. I know they took a first baseman and Trey Morgan recently. They took Xavier Isaac recently. They've taken first baseman. But one, he can play outfield as well. And two, they really like the models. They really like the traits. I feel like P.J. Morlando fits that as well. Uh, Minnesota, this is an interesting one because Minnesota is very much a we want to be, we want safe, safe guys, right? We'll take prepsters. We'll take college guys. We're not swear one way or the other, but we want guys who are pretty safe. Hagen Smith, the lefty out of Arkansas, isn't a hundred percent safe, right? Because the stuff is super loud, but it's a deceptive, jerky, weird delivery. It's not bad, Mind you, it's not like he's going to destroy his elbow. It's not terrible. It's just unconventional. And so a lot of teams who, especially teams who like safety, like the twins do in the draft, don't necessarily think that he would be safe, but he has a bunch of pitches. He has great velocity on them, great movement. It's a rather safe uh, arsenal when you look past the package it's coming out of, right? So Hagen Smith. Four-seam fastball, sits 95 or so. He'll run it up into the upper 90s. I've seen it hit 100, but I don't think that's consistent. That's been more shorter relief stints, bullpen stuff, things like that. He's got a splitter, fantastic splitter. Hurston Waldrop had the best splitter in the draft last year. Hagen Smith has the best uh, best splitter in this draft. Uh, Now, he doesn't really... The splitter's so good because obviously you don't want to spin a splitter. He doesn't have a ton of other pitches that spin really well. He's got a slider. He's got a curveball. Something you're going to have to work on, right? You've seen Minnesota be successful at trading for pitchers and then getting them to be a little more confident in their stuff. Pablo Lopez talked about how good they were with the information and helping him harness what he was doing. That's part of the reason he resigned with them. So I like Hagen Smith there. Uh, I feel like he's going to be pretty matchup proof, lefties and righties. Again, if he falls here, I could see him going. In just a minute, the Los Angeles Dodgers absolutely have a type. And we'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. 
Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, going over our 2024 MLB mock draft. This is day two. Day one was yesterday. You can find that in your episode in your uh, podcast feed. Find that on the YouTube channel. And while you're on YouTube, go check out Locked on Sports today. We have a 24-7 live stream of different national sports shows. So go check that out. This show is on there. You'll see us come throughout there, I think, probably once or twice a day. So go check that out. The Dodgers. It feels like when the Dodgers take a position player, they are very focused on taking athletes that the power tool isn't necessarily there and fixing that. And so I've got the perfect prepster for them. Outfielder Slade Caldwell out of high school in Arkansas, is that guy. He's a super speedy guy, 70 grade. I've heard him described as annoying to face by opposing pitchers because of the chaos he can wreck on the base pass. Now, the power's not great, right? It's He's gap to gap right now. If you throw a mistake, he's going to crush it, but for the most part, he is doing more gap damage than he is home run damage. It's a really good strike zone recognition. It's a really good swing decisions, really polished approach. It's just the overall power level's not quite there. He gets gets on base a ton. He's going to steal bags, things like that. I think he's going to be an average to above average center fielder. He'll, he doesn't have a great arm. He's probably moving to left instead of right if he's not in center field. But it reminds me a lot of... Corbin Carroll, and again, not a comp to Corbin Carroll, but the style of game that they play, focusing on very good speed, lacing the ball into gaps, taking extra bases, arms not fantastic, but can otherwise play a good center field, but you could always move him if you have a better defender. Slade Caldwell feels like the this draft class is heir to Corbin Carroll. You can see the Dodgers taking him and having fun with that. 23, Baltimore, 101 and 61, and... They like to take hitters with elite batted ball data. Just guys that are absolutely very good metrics. I've got one really good metrics in college. Not great metrics on the cape with the wood bats. But Saver King out of Wake Forest. Has played shortstop. Has played probably going to play some second base. Might be a center fielder at the next level. Not quite sure, but a plus runner. His numbers in 2023... I don't, we don't talk about those stats a lot on here, but 411, 457, 699 was his slash line, right? It's just everything's above average to plus, right? The hit tool, the power tool, everything is really good. The deep, everything but the arm. The arm is probably the reason you'd have to kick him in from short to second, but feels like the kind of guy, really good batted ball data infielder the thing that like this is what the Orioles do right they get these hitters and they make them better and so I've got Seaver King from Wake Forest going to Baltimore at 23. 24 is San Diego remember they moved down 10 spots so we have them there right now despite only going 82 and 80. They like batted ball data they like preps they get a bunch of helium and so it's hard for me to know who that guy's going to be so for right now I'm going to give them right-hand pitcher Ryan Sloan the prepster simply because uh, I guess he's a placeholder for whoever the big helium guy is. They're not afraid to go take these guys. Sloan is committed to Wake Forest. Fastball sits mid-90s or so. Ton of run on the arm side with it. Has a sweeper, sits in the low 80s, and a changeup. 
Doesn't throw that a ton. It's really against lefties, so he's just a fastball sweeper guy. But big body, 6'4", 220, tons of upside here. I could see how they could be attracted to that. And speaking of Wake Forest, the Yankees at 25, they love pitching metrics, really good pitching metrics. And a guy that not only has good pitching, pitching metrics, but you can also get really good pitching metrics from him this season because of where he plays is Ryan's is Josh Hartle from Wake Forest. Listed like 6'4", 195, so really tall, lean lefty. Sinker sits in the low 90s. He's got a slider, a changeup, working on a curveball and a cutter. He's been adding some strength. That slider is a sweeper. The Yankees obviously love those sweepers. The changeup does really well at blending in with that sweeper out of the hand. And so those two pitches have done really well for him. You get a little more velocity on the fastball, and you've absolutely got a guy that could be a dude. And I know how much the Yankees like those sweepers. He's got a really good one. Again, you get him some physical development. You have a lefty who can, who can do a lot of work. Uh, probably move to the system rather quickly. Atlanta, 26. They love pitching. College prep doesn't necessarily matter. They love pitching. I've got them taking Trey Savage out of East Carolina. Something here where very physical, can fastball sits 95, 96 or so. Two-plane breaking slider, has a curveball, has a changeup. Something where has to be a little more accurate as far as throwing strikes. Something that Herson Waldrop had the same issue last year. Had to be a little more accurate throwing strikes as walk rate was a little too high. But big body, good frame, very good velocity. That's something Atlantis feel like they prioritize this offseason has been velocity. So Trey Savage out of Eastern Carolina to Atlanta at 26. 27 Philly, they like taking prep talent and they're not afraid to do it from like risky categories. Center fielders who are super speedy and don't quite have an amazing power outcome. Prep pitchers, things like that. They like taking these guys. They're not afraid to take these guys. Shortstop Owen Pano out of high school. That's the guy that I have going to them right now. Something where 6'3", 205, lefty hitter, probably going to end up at third base. But either way, something where that's still up in the air, depending on how he develops. Could also play outfit if you need him to. But it's something where very evolved approach at the plate doesn't sell out for power. So the power numbers aren't stupid, but I think the potential's there, right? Houston at 28, very model heavy team. They like the batted ball data. They like the pitching data. Uh, A guy I have, a climber, somebody who hasn't necessarily been Super high on all of the boards, but on some of the boards, Charlie Condon out of Georgia. Red-shirted in 2022, broke out in 2023. Fantastic raw power, much better hit tool than we thought he had. Probably going to be either a power-hitting corner outfielder or a first baseman. But uh, it's very, really advanced approach, really mature approach. Feels like it makes a lot of sense for Houston because the model's going to love him. Uh, Arizona at 29, they like high ceiling prep talent, it feels. And so the guy I've got here going to them is Michael Mullinax. Speaking of Condon being at Georgia, this is a guy committed to Georgia. Uh, Not everybody has him as high on their board, so this obviously is going to end up changing. 
but something switch hitter, both good power and speed. It's a better contact swing from the right-hand side. It's a better power swing from the left-hand side, especially when he pulls it, but really good bat speed. And then should be able to stick in center field. The arm's only necessarily average, but this feels very much like the profile of the outfielders that Arizona has taken in the past. And so uh, something like, I like this, could be a five-tool guy, obviously plenty of development to do, but Michael Mullinex a lot. Texas at 30. This is a really interesting one because they've mostly taken uh, large conference established college performers. Like these are the guys they want. And for some reason, I don't know if it's just been their decisions they've made this offseason, but for some reason, catcher keeps screaming to me, this is where the catcher needs to be. And there was really two on the board in the first round as far as college large conference catchers. You've got Malcolm Moore out of Stanford. You've got Jacob Cozart out of NC State. Really something where Cozart's the one of the best pitch framers in college baseball. Very good defender. The bat has gotten better, and that's why he's gotten into the first round. Still has some issues with spin. Still has some swing and miss issues. But for the most part, in the zone, he's really good. And he looks like he's going to be at least an average offensive contributor at the major league level or at the next level. Malcolm Moore is very much more so of an offensive guy versus a defensive guy. He may choose to go back to college. I don't know. That's the unknown here. And so that's why I have Cozart going over more, the being better behind the plate defensively and still having the promise on offense. Fantastic week this week. We did these two draft shows because the listeners ask for them. We give the people what they want. If you have show ideas, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, anything like that, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We have a link tree in the episode description in the show notes with every possible way to get a hold of us. Until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. <laughs>